UMGoBlue.com. By fans, for fans, since 1999. Hello, welcome to this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. And after a long hiatus, we're back. We're, we've escaped from limbo. Jim Harbaugh has signed his extension, a five-year deal. Uh, very interesting. Clint, how do you feel about uh, the process where we come to this extension and, and, and where we're at now? Well, it was, a, um, it was certainly a long, drawn-out, somewhat you know, arduous process from, from our perspective, outside looking in. Um, but personally for me, I think that we've got kind of a, kind of an Occam's razor, you know, the simplest answer is, is the most likely the truest answer that I think there's a lot of what ifs and, and narratives and spinning that was happening from, from a lot of different perspectives in the media, social media, fan base, you know, people that are, that are kind of loosely or even closely tied to the program um, because Michigan created kind of an information vacuum um, by, you know, uh, going radio silent on, on everything that was happening. Um, you know, that, that space got filled. You know, that's kind of the media environment that we live in. So um, there was a lot. There was a lot to take in. There were, you know, pretty strong opinions on every, uh, every point that was made, and, and a lot of it was conjecture. So at least now we're at a point where we can discuss, you know, the reality of the situation that we're in and, and look back at the timeline and we can still talk about what we think may have happened, but we are where we are and, and we can discuss a little bit looking backward and a little bit looking forward now that we've got at least uh, some firm ground to stand on and, and facts to, uh, to, to stand on and, and discuss. I love the analogy of, of Occam's razor because I was thinking the same thing. There's been a lot of wild speculation from pretty much everyone. I mean, when you have people online who are very close to the program basically throwing their hands up and saying, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, sources that are generally very conservative and, and right most of the time. Um, it's interesting to, to see that we were all kind of in the same boat waiting for a, a formal announcement. And, uh, again, I, I think – you know, it's interesting because there was a lot of questions about, you know, if the deal came down, what it would look like. Would Harbaugh be uh, open to taking, uh, I I don't know if it's a pay cut, but basically a modified uh, contract moving forward. Um, and there are a lot of people who thought that perhaps um, that his ego wouldn't allow that to happen. But, you know, Clint, when I look at this uh, this announcement, it, it seems very reasonable. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, and again, I, I, I just keep coming back to, oh, Harbaugh is going to tell them to stick it, and he's going to the NFL, and there were some real, very, very uh, um, far-out rumors that different teams were looking at him. But in the end, as he said, uh, I'll let my action speak, and uh, the action is that he signed, uh, I think, a pretty reasonable deal, and uh uh, potentially for five years. So, uh, what do you think? What did you think when you when you started learning about the details of, of the de- of the um, contract and extension that he signed? Oh, 
I think I think we discussed it before that that really it turned into a um, from in, internal to me, you know, kind of a conversation back and forth of a a, a contract negotiation. Now I'm not a, a I'm not an expert or, or you know any kind of uh, you know experienced contract negotiator, but you know the the idea of creating leverage on either side of the um, the table in in this given scenario is what uh, I think drove a lot of the different um, standpoints or, or what was released in in the media and the timelines. Um, so as the details came out that he took such a significant pay cut to his base compensation, I mean a fifty percent pay cut, um, that that lines up with you know some of the other things that we see. Number one. Um, going back in time to the beginning of 2020 when we were told by Harbaugh and by others uh, within the, the program, within the athletic department, that there were, there, were com- there were contract talks that were being held, but, you know, there were bigger fish to fry, I think is what Harbaugh said, right? When the, when the pandemic hit and spring ball was canceled and the season was under threat, um, the contract talks took a, a back seat. Um, so how much this contract is different, how different this is than, than that was, um, would, would really answer a lot of the questions, I think, that still kind of linger, right? So um, I'm sure that the extension did not include a 50% base compensation cut originally in early 2020. I think that this is legitimately uh, a major move to alleviate some some problems for the athletic department, some financial problems, and then also a major PR issue. Um, we we know firsthand that there were significant you know furloughs and layoffs and other uh, personnel cuts within the athletic department um, that. Are, are uncomfortable conversations to have in the real world. So to extend your highest paid athletic department employee um, at $8 million a year uh, for another five years uh, at the same time in the same year is, uh, is certainly a, a problem. Um, it's not that other schools haven't done it. And this is the, the conversation right now that I'm kind of most interested in following on, on social media is that that's, People are upset that that Michigan did not do something similar to what Texas did and, and bite a uh, you know eight figure <laughs> buyout and problem to be able to turn the page and 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 go to the next chapter in their program. And to me, this seems like this was um, a, a pretty clear result of a major budget problem. Um, and then Harbaugh lost additional negotiating leverage because of a, a really bad 2020 season. And, and I think this is the end result. And those are the kind of the pillars of what I think happened and, and my understanding of where we're at. And, and some of the other details, to me, seem to kind of fit within that framework. You know, I think you make some great points, Clint. Um, when I was imagining if Harbaugh was going to come back, what kind of a deal we could see that I would consider reasonable 
this is actually it because this is basically a performance-based contract. And I think that, um, and, and listen, the numbers are large, right? To you and I, a $4 million base salary, uh, you know, we would love to make that in a lifetime, right? But, you, you know, you have to look at on the coaching scale uh, with somebody of, of Harbaugh's credentials. So to slide back from, you know, $8 million to $4 million, you know, that's a 50% pay cut. And then there are incentives for $3.47 million potentially. So I think what I like about this contract is this is really putting it back on Harbaugh saying, listen, if, if you're as great as you think you are, if the program is, is on the right slope, if you are headed in the right direction, then you're going to make your money, right? And, you know, the other thing to consider is that I'm sure if, if Michigan does the hockey stick of growth and, you know, uh, two of the next three years, Harbaugh wins a, a Big Ten championship and, you know, goes to the college football playoffs, I'm sure Ward would be very happy to, to, to rip this up and renegotiate. But I think that it, it kind of protects both sides. Um, you know, one of the things we've talked about is, you know, on a larger scale of college football, I believe that the landscape and the financial landscape is going to change drastically. We are heading into an era where the players are going to need to be compensated in some way. That's going to have a major impact on the revenues of all the athletic departments, including Michigan. You're going to have Title IX issues. So there is a lot of financial uncertainties moving forward. There's the question on, will they be able to fill stadiums this year? We still don't know that. We don't know, will the fans come back after, uh, I guess, the habit's been broken for a year? So there's a lot of uncertainty, and this seems to cover both sides. Um, and, and I think that uh, it's really putting it to Jim. Listen, if you're gonna if you're gonna win all these things anyway, well, here we'll pay you. But it, it, it's uh, it's you know we're gonna pay for what happens, not what we hope will happen. Yeah, I, I think we've also kind of framed Harbaugh, or, or when we've tried to crawl inside a Harbaugh's head in the past, you and I at least specifically. Um, we kind of think that he, he still has a foundation or a mindset of uh, a player, a competitor who, who was himself a professional player. So um, incentive-based contracts are especially prominent in, in for NFL players. You know, when, when they are, are on the back half of their careers, where, where Harbaugh spent, you know, the back half of his career, I'm sure, was, was structured similarly in terms of compensation. And it also kind of called back um, to reading a lot about the hiring of Jim Harbaugh and what was different in 2014 um, in the courtship of Jim Harbaugh in 2014, as opposed to um, 07 when he was at Stanford and and that original kind of cycle where he, he didn't feel the love I think was, was kind of what was, uh, what his words were, or at least, uh, you know, third hand, what he was saying is that he didn't feel like Michigan really wanted him. And the next time through in 2014, he did feel like Michigan really wanted him and, and it felt right to come back. Um, I don't think that that's about, uh, 
a dollar sign. I don't think that show me that you love me by offering me lots and lots of money. I, I just, I don't think it's that uh, shallow. I think that it's a lot deeper than that. And I also believe that, that this was an ongoing long-term conversation between Ward and, and, and Harbaugh, again, that started late 2019, early 2020, and then the budget got a hole blown in the middle of it, and, and they adjusted. This, this wasn't, uh, oh, by the way, this plopped down here, and that's where we're at. You know, I, I'm sure that this conversation and the, the, the structure of the deal evolved a lot over the, the year of 2020. And then at the end of the year, the, the two weeks or three weeks since the, the finish of the season that were so quiet, you know, and you and I talked about this a little bit, you know, off, offline was by, by Harbaugh was never harmed by waiting. <laughs> you know, the, there was an offer on the table and, and it was leaked to the, to the media that the offer was on the table without the details of the offer. And then it was on Harbaugh to sign and the, the pressure mounted and mounted and mounted um, and eventually signed it, you know, and in that media vacuum is, is where we've created a lot of the, the different uh, opinions, but functionally um, in my mind, um, the only real risk there was, was in your, your hiring of the replacement defensive coordinator. And, and it sounds like, um, you know, Harbaugh was actively in the process of, of pursuing a, a guy from the NFL with the Ravens, where, where his brother is the head coach. And, and he, so he, he probably had um, his own ideas for candidates w when making the decision uh, to move on from Don Brown as the defensive coordinator. So clearly he was still actively leading the program through this whole process. So um, any of the theories that are centered around Harbaugh frantically searching the NFL for an opening so that he can get out. And then he reluctantly came back to Michigan. That, that just doesn't make sense to me because of what Harbaugh said publicly that his actions would speak and the, the overall arc of 2020 from a financial standpoint in the university and, and where we ended up with an incentive laden contract and uh, you know, a very competitive guy in Jim Harbaugh who certainly doesn't want to leave um, on a bad note, um, a job that he took with, with so much reverence. So again, to me, those are the, those are the pillars of, of what I think is a pretty simple narrative that um, you know, there was a lot of drama that was built into the media spin, but uh, to me, Seems like it played out pretty simply, and now we'll see, you know, how we can start actually correcting some of the problems in the football program, and, and not talk about the relationship between the coach and, and the university. Maybe I've always followed Jim Harbaugh's career, and not just because you know he had a lot of success when he was a, a player at Michigan. I had the uh, good fortune the the first time I, I visited with the Michigan football program uh, when I was a uh, still a high school football player, 
and, and I always think back. It was a great day. It's the, the first time that I met Coach Schembechler. Um, I met Jamie Morris, and I also met Jim Harbaugh on that day. And uh, one of my prized possessions is my photo with, with uh, now Coach Harbaugh, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, always had a – followed his career, um, followed his career in Chicago. And what's interesting is I wonder if we're seeing kind of an analogy. And, and you mentioned this, you know, often he thinks of himself as, as still being a player, right? There are stories that, you know, he'll go still wear cleats. He would uh, – Engage in the passing drills as a participant when he was running his uh, his uh, camps all over the country. You know he still has a player mindset, and I think that that's a, a fair assumption. But the point being is that he had some success in Chicago, and kind of spun out at the end. And not it wasn't really all his fault, but he was the starting quarterback, and the team bottomed out. And there were people in the NFL who thought he was done. And he moved on to Indianapolis and uh, earned the name Captain Comeback, um, you know, falling just short of making the Super Bowl. And, and again, kind of had a renaissance in his career. So I'm looking at, at this new era for him at Michigan. It's kind of that. It's you came in, everybody was super excited. He was super excited. And um, it's not disloyal to say that we're not exactly where we hoped we would be. You know, we by uh, this point in his tenure, um, I would have hoped. You know, I, I would have expected that we would have at least been to an, been to Indianapolis uh, for the Big Ten championship game. And it's interesting that you know, kind of uh, looking at the rhythms of his pro career. Um, you know, as a player, he went to Indianapolis, and now as a coach, we're hoping to get to Indianapolis, which is which is kind of amusing. But again, so far, uh, you know, and I think he'd be the first to admit he has not reached all of his goals. He has not reached the goals that we would like to see, and and now it's time to bear down. And okay, you you have potentially another five years here, and how do you adjust? How do you refine your technique? How do you evolve to be successful? Because we're not where we need to be, and, uh, and, and we need to get there. And I think that a lot of, you know, you talked about how um, the lack of information fueled narratives among the media and the fans. Well, the other thing fueling the narrative is we just haven't had the success that we would have liked. There is a portion of the fan base that is ready to move on that is frustrated. And I think that when I look at this contract extension, it's, it's uh, you know, if I could label any of the top sell, it would be put up or shut up, right? Um, you know, show us what you can do. And, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Yep, I, I agree with that. And another big part of the conversation, I think, is is the buyout numbers, right? And... That does, from from Ward Manuel's perspective, I think again this is conjecture for me trying to crawl into that that role, you know. But listen, if if we have another bad season or another two bad seasons, if things just don't click, Jim, then I, I don't want to be in a place where I, I've got to eat eight figures um, in an unknown budget contract year, you know, or an unknown budget future. Um, with that hanging over my head where I've got to make a decision on, you know, trying to find uh, 
go and knock on doors with my uh, wealthy donors to fire a coach, right? I, I don't want to start spinning up and being uh, beholden to the opinions of, of a lot of wealthy boosters, uh, you know? So let's make sure that there are exit ramps um, on both sides of this that, that are also logical. If, uh, if there is something that eventually we have to part ways, they, they did also create a foundation that would, if they, there's a spot in the future that they're going to move on, um, either from Michigan's perspective or from Harbaugh's perspective, then it could be a mutually agreed parting of, of ways. Um, but I don't think that that was possible with the buyout numbers in the previous contract, whereas now, um, you know, the, the, the largest buyout, if Michigan were to fire him after next season, then Michigan would owe him $4 million and be done. Um, again, remember that that's, that's one year of, of compensation um, on this new contract, as opposed to, you know, what Texas just did to fire Tom Herman. They were giving him $15 million and, uh, you know, his staff an additional $10 million. That's even before you hire a, a new coach. So, Ward Manuel, I'm sure, had an angle in these conversations that he didn't want to be in that spot, regardless of, of whether it goes well or goes goes poorly. So if they're going to pay large numbers um, in terms of compensation, it, it should be on the back of a positive season. And if it's a, a poor season or a poor couple of seasons and he's got to move on, he doesn't want the additional salt in the wound of a major, um, a major buyout over his head. And I think those actions are, are what speak the loudest to me. I think that it does validate that it's not a perfect um, marriage at this point. You know, I don't think, I don't think Harbaugh's happy with the way things have gone in six years. I think his own expectations were much higher. So, um, if it doesn't work, I think you do have to kind of build in a logical off-ramp from both perspectives, and, and they did. So it, it's not, you know, I, I don't want to be accused of putting on my uh, maize and blue colored glasses and acting like everything's perfect because it's really not. We were still, uh, you know, Michigan was still two and four, still lost to Michigan State in a year zero under Mel Tucker. You know, there, there's still a lot of things that are just not good right now. But to me, I think that this landed in, in the right spot in order to, to move forward. Now, um, now it's about fixing some of those problems that caused a two and four season and, and kind of a decline in the last two or three full seasons. So, Clint, you're definitely uh, gave me a kick in the shins there because I keep coming back to that Michigan State game. And I, uh, I watched whatever tape there was available on Rocky Lombardi. And uh, I said after the game that that was the finest game I had ever seen him play. And I didn't expect it to be sustained. And again, nothing against the player, but just from what I'd seen, you know, uh, previously on tape, it was a different player, Right. So not only did Michigan lose to Michigan State, but they lost to a quarterback who couldn't even keep his starting job and, and left the program. 
and it just it just baffles me to this day. And you know, we talk about uh, you know loving the game of football. There's a reason you play the games, and sometimes the game goes against you, and that was one of those games. I I, I still think uh, I shake my head when I go back and look at the tape at, at how well he played in that game. Um, and how atypical it was of, of most of his performances. So one of the things that, uh, you know, I wonder about, like you said, uh, we, we wonder how exactly this differs from the initial conversations that Coach Arbaugh had with Ward Manuel. Um, and, and I agree with you. I think it's, it's, while the number may be the same, I think that it's, it's tilted much more in Michigan's favor now. The thing that we don't know is what were the conversations like about his staff, okay? Because Harbaugh has gone on the record repeatedly raving about Don Brown, raving about how he loves him. And, uh, you know, there are many across the, uh, the football landscape who are more, uh, more than comfortable to throw this year out, right, to say this was just a uh, – uh, you know, it's funny. Harbaugh used to have, has this, or has the saying, not used to, has the saying, God willing and the creek don't rise. Well, this was the year that the creek rose, okay? This was the one in a million or the one in a hundred year flood that just totally changed the landscape. So, again, there are many uh, across the football world who are, hey, we're just going to throw this year out because it's such a, a wild card. But here at Michigan, um, we uh, we have Don Brown leaving the staff. And whether I agree with that or not, uh, uh, by the way, I do. Um, I know we've had a lot of conversations in the podcast. It's I, I wonder what the conversations were like with Ward and Jim about, hey, we're going to make this deal. But you have to believe that with the Michigan is not a program that's, that's throwing this year out. Um, because if they were, I think Don Brown would still be here. So the question is, as the year tilted against Harbaugh, um, what conversations occurred between Ward and Jim about, hey, we're going to have you back, but there are going to be some staff changes? Or is that the kind of thing that, that Jim just realized himself? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I I don't think that there is a, a throwaway year at Michigan's program, you know, and from a national perspective, Michigan gets a, a lot of um, attention um, because of the, uh, you know, the, the so-called uh, Michigan arrogance and, and, you know, the, the entitlement to feeling like you, you're, you're a blue blood, you know, which it, we, we could have that, that conversation over and over again. However, I, I do still think that it's reasonable for Michigan to have the, the highest standards possible. Michigan should have the goal of winning the Big Ten and a berth in the national playoff every year. I mean, the, with the resources that are available and the talent that you bring in to the program and all of the other resources uh, available to this program, that should be the standard. And, and lowering the standard is not part of the whole process, at least, you know, from, from my perspective. And I don't think that that is what's going to happen for, for Michigan, you know, on the specifics. Um, again, I, I do think you're right that 
we'll understand a lot more when we see how the staff gets constructed. Um, the the conversation around Mike McDonald, who uh, is still actively coaching the the Ravens linebackers, you know the the report or, or you know the rumors are right now that um, there's a kind of an agreement in place that he's going to take the defensive coordinator job at Michigan once the Ravens are done with their playoff run. And uh, I think that's a, that's a really interesting first piece uh, in terms of this conversation. We know that there are other assistants on the staff right now whose contracts uh, expire today or, or tomorrow. So there, there have to be you know, some, some news and, and announcements that come out from that standpoint. So I, I think with McDonald's background, you know, he's a 33-year-old current defensive assistant in the NFL who only worked in the, at the college level as a graduate assistant, as kind of an analyst. Never played college and uh, obviously never played in the pros. So if, if you don't have that level of experience, you know, what, what is he bringing? It, it, you would think that it's much more of a X's and O's strategy and tactician kind of guy, anything that he does from a technique or development standpoint um, would have been learned, you know, uh, through, you know, learning from other coaches and then teaching it to players, uh, you know, secondhand. So you would think that this is kind of an X's and O's angle in terms of your coordinator, which is uh, okay. You know, it, it's a, it's a, a strategy, but I think what it also lends itself to is that, um, you're going to want to surround that particular person or, or put onto his staff um, a lot of experience at the college level to help fill in the gaps um, that, that he might have. So those, those questions, I think, are the most critical. Um, also, a big, from, from a program standpoint, not just one season, after another, but from uh, from my standpoint, I think that we need to see more players that come in with high recruiting ratings also develop and become high-level NFL prospects. Um, not that it has not happened, because it has. Uh, you know, Rashawn Gary came in, obviously, the highest-level recruit and, and was drafted in the top half of the first round, even though people debated uh, his his output Jabril Peppers same thing um, but those four star guys um, or, or, or even five star guys kind of like uh, Donovan Peoples Jones um, turning into mid-round or low-round NFL picks I think that that's a legitimate problem and it's another it's another gap between where Michigan is and where we see Ohio State and Clemson and Alabama, the, the perennial playoff teams. So there's there's a little bit of a gap recruiting, and I think it's compounded by having also a gap in development. So all of that is is really got to be addressed at the staff level with, with what Harbaugh is going to do in the next few weeks here by assembling this staff and 
then preparing um, for an install of a new defensive scheme and reinstall of an offensive scheme with Josh Gaddis. And who knows what spring football and the summer offseason program is going to look like still with the, the pandemic raging. So those are, those are the, the highest priority things to do right now. But you've got to make sure that you've got people that can coach the positions and the techniques that you need um, very, very, you know, acutely because there's, there's a development gap that I think um, is kind of a hidden killer right now in, in Michigan's program. So what struck me when the rumors uh, started swirling that Jim Harbaugh was going to pluck an assistant from his brother's staff and I'm sure that they've talked about it, right? I, I mean, I don't, I don't mean to make it sound like he's raiding his staff or anything. But, uh, you know, we've taken other uh, personnel from the Ravens in the past. You know, Jay Harbaugh worked, you know, Jim's son worked under John Harbaugh, his uncle, for a while as an offensive quality control person. But... The most famous person that we took from the Ravens was Greg Madison. And it it still baffles me to this day. And, um, you know, you know, there's a story there, right? So you have Greg Madison, who was good enough to be a defensive coordinator in the NFL under the Ravens and uh, is good enough to be a co-defensive coordinator for the Buckeyes. But... Uh, Harbaugh didn't uh, see fit to promote him or to interview him to be defensive coordinator on his staff. So I'm sure there's a story there. And uh, someday, hopefully, uh, John Bacon will be uh, uh, fortunate enough to write a book that will tell that story because I, I would love to know the, uh, the background behind there. So one thing that I note uh, with this new, this new rumored defensive coordinator come in is that along with Josh Gaddis, um, the Michigan staff is is going younger, right? Looking for new blood, hopefully looking uh, to grow a coaching tree that uh, will sustain the program and other programs for uh, a long time in the future. So I think uh, hopefully, as you mentioned, with all the coaching contracts expiring very soon, um, we will have announcements you know, I, I keep thinking of that, uh, of one of the last scenes in the Godfather movie, you know, today is the day we take care of all family business and, and everybody just gets wiped out. Uh, I'm wondering if we're going to have, uh, you know, everybody going at once or if uh, we will hear uh, information dribbling out over the next couple weeks or months. Uh, but first things first, I think that defensive coordinator position is, is the first one. And it sounds like Harbaugh is on track for that. Yeah, and I, I again, this is this is conjecture for me trying to kind of climb into the head for for Jim Harbaugh. But I like I like the point that you made that compared um, this moment in his coaching career to the uh, you know to the change or the turnaround in his playing career, where there was a point that that had kind of a turnaround feel to it, kind of a uh, a build back, and 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 he was kind of cast back into an underdog role where maybe, you know, he, he's more comfortable kind of fighting an uphill battle and maybe that kind of sparks something. But I don't, 
for me, I, I, I tend to think that's more close to, to the reality of what we're seeing right now, as opposed to some of the other conversation about Don Brown being uh, a scapegoat. I, I don't, I don't buy that um, in the least. You know, I, I don't think that you'll hear or see or, or, you know, get the feeling from the program that Don Brown was the problem. Getting rid of him is how we're going to fix this. I really think, first of all, in terms of, I think the problems are deeper than just the defensive coordinator. There are lots of things to fix and it's going to have to start with a, a changing strategy and philosophy from the top across the whole program, not just game day man and management roster management, right? It's going to be everything, all things. Um, and of course, you know, I, I think Harbaugh also understands that having been the head of, you know, the entire, you know, having been the head of both a, a college and an NFL team, you know, that it starts at the top with a strategy and a vision, and then you have to bring people in to kind of implement that that vision and that strategy. He's kind of taken accountability for the poor performance that they've seen. He's also acknowledged the reality of the budget situation that the athletic department's in. And now, you know, I think that we are seeing a, a strategic shift to a younger coaching staff. Number one, I think that there's a, uh, I think that that's number one. Uh, there's a tie into recruiting there and, and, being able to um, kind of traverse a, a digital landscape here where almost their entire recruiting cycle was done through text and FaceTime and Zoom and all of the digital um, tools that were available to them. I think that uh, shifting to a younger coaching staff probably uh, is a result of some of that, but also I think it is – there's a lot of information right now available through the different digital tools and video tools where these schemes can get created that are very, very adaptive, both offensive and defensive uh, schemes and attacks and game plans. Um, so I, so far what we've seen and heard to this point seems like those shifts are, are going in that direction. It is not, um, it's not a, a situation where there's, okay, Don Brown was the problem, get him out of the way, new guy in, and this thing, you know, we were just one piece away. It, it, it really feels as if there is a, a shift in, um, in, in culture or, or at least in, um, in vision or strategy at the top. And again, we'll get a lot more feedback um, as we find out how, what else Harbaugh does with his staff you know, this week and, and in the coming weeks. So uh, we were talking about, uh, you know, Coach Harbaugh's ties to uh, the Ravens. Also got to mention that, you know, he briefly uh, spent some time there and that Kirk Ferentz was one of his coaches. So it's interesting. You know, they, they say in football, everybody, you know, you're only a few degrees away from everybody else. And it's interesting how those two have come back to, to coach against one another. But, you know, to touch on what you're saying about Don Brown, I, I agree. I don't think it was that Don Brown was a bad guy. I think that um, he did everything that he could, and I think that it's time to retool and, and go in a different direction. 
Um, I, I think uh, it's going to be interesting to see um, how the character of the defense changes and if bringing a guy uh, with recent NFL coaching experience uh, helps them attract that top-tier talent that and, – and not only attract the talent, but as you mentioned, develop it because the – the, you know, Clint, and I, I've mentioned this story before, um, you know, uh, a friend of mine had a uh, um, a relative who was a five-star recruit. And, um, you know, he, he's, he's playing for Alabama right now. And, uh, you know, this friend and I were talking, and for a very brief moment, he was, this person was being recruited by Michigan. And I'm like, oh, that would be great. I'd love to see him play. And... The minute he started getting recruited by Alabama and was a top recruit from Alabama, I, I just looked, I said, well, he's going to Alabama. Okay. Like you can't, it's really hard right now to make a case for someone to pass up Ohio state or Alabama or Clemson. They're, Michigan is at a, I hate to say it, a lower tier right now. And it, you know, coach Harbaugh has to make the changes to get Michigan in that conversation to compete at the highest level because we're just not there. And it, and frankly, it sucks to say, but realistically we're, we're just, we're just not there right yet. And hopefully he can keep retooling and, and get us that, to that upper echelon. Yeah. I, I, I do think that it's going to take some, some more creativity and problem solving from, from Harbaugh. And he came in, from his NFL job in 2014 into the 2015 season and had a lot of new ideas that he tried and, and a lot of it created a bunch of splash and, and backlash nationally. And, um, you know, that, that, that mindset and, and that disruption I think is going to have to continue um, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of change coming to the entire NCAA culture and, and ecosystem with the the name image and likeness legislation and all of that stuff there's a big paradigm shift that has started and, and is going to continue to move here so um michigan needs to find a way to to make a competitive advantage out of that while also getting into the details in their own house and, and correcting uh what needs to be corrected to win football games and get back to the level of success that um, that the program is is accustomed to, and that we as fans are accustomed to. That winning will cure all evils. That's for sure. And, and nobody understands that better than than a, a college football coach. So it'll be it'll be nice to see some some rededication and hopefully a little bit more outward fire and passion. You know, um, to see if if that kind of comes also back to the sidelines in uh, 21. So and we've talked about this, this, this uh, rebalancing of the ecosystem. I'm hoping that not only can Jim Harbaugh lead Michigan to success on the field, but I hope that his experience as an NFL player, a college player and, a, and an NFL coach can help uh, balance the scales for the players in college. I hope that, that he can be a driving force for that. You know, I think when he came to college football, back to college football as a coach, I think, you know, he had all these great ideas. He was going to try to change the system, right? He was going to 
have these swarm camps everywhere. He was going to change the game. And to a certain extent, I think the system kind of slapped him down a little bit. And, um, you know, now the system is being forced to change due to external forces. And you and I both agree those changes are are a long time past due, right? So uh-huh. hopefully now that the uh, the the balances are, are, are the scales are being shifted, um, not only can he be successful, but he can incorporate uh, a lot of changes that that can help the players and and help it be a more equi- equitable system for everyone. Yeah, and I, I think that he's done a, a very a very commendable job of already being on the leading edge um, in terms of player advocacy at the college level. And I, I, to me, I think that's one of his major competitive advantages um, for recruiting is not only his, his network and ties to the NFL and his track record of developing NFL talent, even uh, having been less successful at Michigan than we would all like. I think they still have, they're like number six or seven in terms of number of NFL draft picks. Um, in Harbaugh's tenure. So there's, there's a track record there, but this specifically, I'd much rather have Jim Harbaugh as my coach in terms of player advocacy than, than some of the other, you know, nationally recognized head coaches and what they, how they're treating um, a lot of the, the, the challenges right now that are facing college football and the imbalance and the power structure. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.